Romans chapter 1. I do want to be up front with you. Tonight's message is not going to be popular. Okay? So just an upfront warning. You may not, uh, this may not make you feel good. But uh, I want to get into tonight the true doctrine of sin. We talked last week about the total depravity of man and how the Calvinistic doctrine of man is completely and utterly depraved and we cannot uh, even choose to be as close to God as, we, as God would like. We can't even choose God as a false doctrine. Okay? Man can choose righteousness. We have that opportunity. We get to choose God. And so that is definitely a false thing, and so we covered that a little bit last week. So we need to look at the true doctrine of sin, and we're going to delve into that a little bit this evening. But if you would look with me in Romans chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 18. Verse 18, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed. That's important to tonight's message, okay? The wrath of God is revealed. From faith, excuse me, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God, watch now, is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Verse 21, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image make, made like to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. The first thing that I want you to understand tonight very simply is that God's wrath is working against unrighteousness. If you would go back to verse 18, it is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath is working. Okay, let me ask this question just as we get started. Why in the world would God's wrath be working against the unrighteousness of men? Why would it be working against them? Here's why I believe, because verses 19 to 23 tell us that they are denying God. They deny the existence of God. They deny God himself. They knew God. They have God manifested to them, yet they deny him. So they are working against God, and therefore God is, wrath is against them. The interesting thing is God is seen in every man. God is, can be seen by every man, which again refutes the total depravity of man. Every man can see God. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They knew God. They've seen God. This leaves them, again, in verse 20, without excuse. 
Every person in the world, every person that's ever been in the world is without excuse. They know that there's a God. They have the opportunity to choose God. They have the opportunity to make a decision for Christ, and they don't. They choose not to. So tonight, I want to show you what sin does, what sin is. Number one, sin starts with a proper knowledge. Sin starts with a proper knowledge. Look at verse 19 again. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I want you to see that they have, that all men have a proper knowledge. We all have a proper knowledge. We all know that there is a God. We all know that there is a God that loves us. We all know that there is God. We have a proper knowledge. It has been manifest to us. It has been shown to us. Sin is a choice against that. We talked a little bit last week about them becoming liars. A liar is somebody who knows the truth and then tells you something different. They know the truth. And so often, I want you to again realize this is a choice. Sin is a choice. You say, no, 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 we were born this way. Yes, correct, but every one of us choose sin. Are we bent towards sin? Absolutely. But every one of us chooses sin. We can choose righteousness or we can choose unrighteousness. The choice of knowing what is right And we still decide to do what's wrong. That's sin. Sin is knowing what the mark is and missing the mark. Knowing what the mark is and missing the mark. Sin is a choice. Number two, though, sin propels forward or moves forward with pride. Sin propels forward with pride. Look with me in verse 21 again. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, here it is, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. They became vain in their imaginations. What does that mean? They had God in their minds. They could see who he was. They understood uh, his eternal power, verse 20, and Godhead. They understood his deity. They understood he was all-powerful. Yet here we see that they knew God, yet they glorified him not as God. So who did they glorify? Themselves. They became vain in their imaginations. They began to glorify themselves. And look what happens. And their foolish heart was darkened. Their foolish heart, because of them glorifying no longer the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of glorifying him, they became to glorify themselves. And what happens is their foolish heart then becomes dark. So listen, pride darkens our heart. Every time, mark it down. Pride darkens our heart. Maybe you've been in this situation. 
Maybe you've been in a situation where pride has gotten the better of you and you go, oh man, I have failed. And what it does in the heat of the moment, you see only one thing and it darkens your heart from what God is trying to do. And maybe you've, you've been in that spot where you know your conscience or we as Christians call it the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's pricking your heart and saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And you go ahead and do it anyway. Why? Because you want to do it. It pushes the Holy Spirit aside. It darkens your heart every time. In fact, verse 22 is extremely interesting. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. Listen, pride professes oneself to be wise. You ever been around somebody who's like, they're a know-it-all? How many of you enjoy people like that? <laughs> I had one person like, woo, no, not me. No, nobody likes a know-it-all. And we have people that are professing themselves to be wise, but it's all about pride. By the way, this is exactly what Satan used in the very first sin. Let me go back to Genesis chapter 3. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 with me. All the way back to the first sin of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3. See if you can pick up on the point here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible says this. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, this is Satan speaking to Eve, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, watch, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Interestingly enough, there is an innate desire in every one of us to be self-wise. We want to be wise. We don't want God to give us wisdom. By the way, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. But here's the reality. We don't want God's help. We want to come up with our own wisdom. We want to do our own thing. And Satan's constant attack is God doesn't know what he's doing. You need your own wisdom. You need to think this through on your own. You need to walk through this in your own mental capacity. You need to be wise. You need wisdom. And so verse 22 again, professing themselves to be wise. They became his fool. Adam and Eve, wanting to be wise, literally became fools. You, the thought process... You have an almighty, all-knowing creator God that literally just put you to sleep and took out of you a rib and created a woman and you don't think that he's wise. You think that you have to have something outside of him. That's completely bonkers. But that's what every one of us live almost every day. 
We think that in us, in us dwells wisdom. And so we profess ourselves to be wise. Listen, no doubt some of you have some great wisdom. Some of you have some great things in and of yourself, but listen, this world's wisdom does not compare to the wisdom from above, from God's wisdom. Please don't miss this point. When we start thinking that we know better than God, we are in major trouble. Listen, when we start thinking that we can excuse away the Word of God, we are in extremely major trouble. That's exactly what Satan did. Satan came to Eve and said, Yea, hath God said? And we take the Word of God and we go, Does it really mean that? Does it really mean that? When we start thinking, we can change the Word of God to make it say what we want it to say. We are in major, major trouble. And what happens is, this is the first step in a long, long road of sin. When we start thinking that we know better than God. I'm going to make my own decisions. God, I got this one. God, you can't tell me what to do. I got this one. I'm going to make my own decisions. You are taking the first step down a long road of sin. You'll begin thinking things like this. I can lust after that lady. It's not that bad. It's not like I'm committing adultery with her. You, you know what Jesus says about that, right? If any man lusts after a woman, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. Well, God, it's not really as bad as you make it sound, and so I'm going to rationalize it. In my wisdom, it's not such a bad thing. I can handle it. How many times have we heard that? Or how many times have you said that? I can handle this sin. It's, it's not that bad. I can handle that kind of music. I can handle watching that television show. I can handle this. I can handle that. I can handle it. The point is not that you can handle it or not. It's the fact that it's wrong. We say again things like God probably didn't mean that. This happens in our culture all the time. And here's the reality. Christians are following it hook, line, and sinker. Christians are getting caught up in the fact that we can excuse sin away. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? It's not that big of a deal. Come on, it's the 21st century. Get with it. And we begin to excuse sin away because our culture deems it popular. We're going to talk about some things that culture deems popular tonight that the Bible does not deem popular. I don't mean to be rude or crude about it, but the reality is what culture says is okay does not make it okay. When we excuse the Bible away, when we push it aside, we are taking the first step down a long road. Listen, what God calls sin is sin all the time. What God calls sin is sin. No matter what our culture says, sin is sin. Sin is against God. And what happens is our pride is at the forefront. Our pride is always at the forefront. When pride is present, listen, please don't miss this. When pride is present, we don't need God anymore. 
When pride is present, we don't need God anymore. We simply make up our own gods. Notice verse 23, and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image make light to corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creeping things. I don't need God anymore. I'm good. I got this. And so what do I do? I I make up my own gods. I form a God in my own image, or I form a God in the image of a bird that I really respect, or I form an image in a a four-footed beast, whatever it is. I I form the image, and I make the rules, and I tell the God what it's going to be. And I fall down and worship that God because that, that God conforms to what I want. In reality, we're making ourselves the God. We design, we create our own set of guidelines. And listen, as Judges says, every man begins to do that which is right in his own eyes. This is the process of sin. Sin is against God. Sin is a choice. And thus far in our study, in our progression down this sin is fueled by pride. Always. Number three, sin is punished. Listen to this. Sin is punished with sexual promiscuity. Sin is punished with sexual promiscuity. Verse 24. Wherefore God also, watch this now, gave them up. Because of their pride... Because they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God to an image linked like to corruptible man. Wherefore, God also gave them up to what? Uncleanness. Through the lusts of their own hearts. Watch. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God gave them up. Listen, this is the first stage of God removing his hands off of us. And what happens is because we want to go a certain way, God says, I can't keep you here. Go ahead. And he removes his hands. Notice that they dishonor their own bodies. They dishonor their own bodies between themselves. They are given up to the lusts of their own hearts, the uncleanness. This is talking about sexual promiscuity, having multiple sexual partners. Listen, it is a proven fact. Multiple sexual partners dishonors your body. Your body was meant to be honored by only one person. Let's, let's, you don't believe me, I can tell. Hebrews 13. You don't have to believe me. Read this verse. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. The Bible says this. Marriage, which the biblical definition of marriage is one man and one woman For one lifetime. Marriage is what? Honorable in all. In the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. 
I want you to understand that here in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 lays the foundation. God's wrath is going to be revealed. How is it being revealed? Sexual promiscuity. Most of us think, right, Christians, that man, if I could just uh, do whatever I wanted to do with any person, then I would be happy. Man, my wife, my husband, they're just not fulfilling my desires. And so I need to go outside of the marriage to figure this out. I need to go outside and enjoy myself a little bit. Listen, you will enjoy sin for a season, but what it does is it dishonors your body. It's dishonorable. Listen, that is God's judgment. The average Canadian has had anywhere from five to 12 sexual partners in their lifetime. I couldn't find an exact number, that's why I give you five to 12, because several different things were different. In fact, it is said that people were exaggerating when they've taken, asked this question, and they take the poll. Some said up to 20 or 30. And listen, in our society, that's praised. That's exciting. Whoa, another one? That's awesome. But what's happening is they are causing themselves a great deal of problems. This is not just a biblical thing. In a 2013 article in Psychology Today, a very prominent magazine, listen to this. I quote, the nature of casual sex relationships may, however, present a risk factor in and of itself. These relationships may be particularly likely to be impersonal, lacking in the potential to provide emotional fulfillment. People have a string of these relationships may turn to, the, turn to self-medication provided by alcohol and drugs. As the authors point out, drinking alcohol to cope with the feelings of loneliness and despair can pave the way for later substance dependence. So the reality is you know why people are going looking for these relationships is because they feel lonely, because they feel unfulfilled, because they feel a non-emotional attachment, and so they think, if I just have this relationship, I will feel emotionally attached. I won't have any of these problems anymore, and what it does is it just continues to bring up those problems so much so that you turn to substance abuse. It just keeps getting darker and darker and darker. So in what happens is, in trying to fulfill our own emotional depression and loneliness, we end up creating more of it. You know, God's ways are not our ways. And the things that we think are going to make us happy never make us happy. We're looking for the joy that God offers. We look for it in every other thing. But listen, Jesus says, listen, I want to give you joy unspeakable and full of glory but we're too busy looking for it somewhere else we're too busy looking for it in another person another thing listen sexual promiscuity is punishment for sin 
because it dishonors our body. And also this, look at verse 25 of Romans chapter 1. So these people have dishonored their own bodies between themselves. Watch verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. Watch, watch, watch. And worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. On top of this, pride. Pride will continue to propel this forward. But listen, Sexual promiscuity leads to self-worship. They worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. I worship and serve myself now. I'm looking for what I want. In fact, I don't even care about the partners that I have. I'm, I'm sick of this one, so I move on to another one. And I'm sick of that one, and I move on to the other. I wish I, I should have looked up the, uh, the statistics of what happens in a second marriage when the first marriage ended in divorce. The statistics are incredibly high as to the second marriage failing. The reality is there are all kinds of huge, major issues that go on when we become self-obsessed, when we become self-worshippers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 18, the Bible says this, flee, flee, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication, listen to this, sinneth against his own body. You're hurting yourself. You're dishonoring yourself. That's the punishment of God. That's the wrath of God. So sexual promiscuity is literally destroying your body. What happens is God removes his hand of protection and allows you to do what you want with your body. I can't stop you. So go ahead. Sin is further punished, number four, by sexual perversion. Well, it never just stops there, does it? Look at verse 26. For this cause, for this cause, because they chained the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served themselves, they wanted something that they couldn't have. I want it. This is the way I'm going to do it. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working, working that which is unseemly. Watch, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Sexual perversion. Sodomy, dare I say it, homosexuality. Women changing their natural use. Women looking for something more because what they have in multiple sexual partners is not good enough anymore. And they honestly, listen, they honestly desire something else. 
Come by it honestly. Honestly desire. Men don't want women anymore, so they honestly, they desire something else. I hope you understand that very often homosexuals do have a desire toward the opposite sex. They do. You might think that that's ridiculous, that nobody has that desire, but the reality is they do. They have that desire, but please understand, please understand this. Just because you have a desire doesn't make it right. Just because you have a desire doesn't make it right. Again, I desire constantly unrighteousness all the time. My flesh desires it, but my spirit, as Paul says, desires righteousness Flesh desires one thing, spirit desires another, so that they are at enmity one with another. Please notice with me the result at the end of verse 27. And receiving, they are receiving in themselves that recompense or that penalty of their error, which was meat. There is the receiving within themselves the penalty of their error. Listen, everyone is susceptible to this. I remember, maybe some of you would remember, I preached a message years ago to our senior adults. The first question I asked was, how many of you would say you struggle with sodomy? Not one of them raised their hand. The first thought that we think of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah was the fact of homosexuality. That's what we think. The sin of Sodom was not homosexuality. The sin of Sodom was not needing God. Which led to sexual promiscuity, which led to homosexuality, which will lead to so many other things we'll see in a minute. So listen, everyone is susceptible to this. Everyone will, could have this desire at some point in their lives. Listen, the less we need God, the more we look to ourselves. And the more we look to ourselves, the more God removes his hands. So let me ask you, does this make anyone better than anyone else? Does this make anyone better than anyone else? Listen, no, it doesn't. This is the wrath of God being revealed on the ungodly. This is the wrath of God. The result is getting further and further and further and further away from God. As long as you progress down this road, you will continue to get further. And number five, which leads us to the fifth point, sin continues to push us further away. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, here it is again, God gave, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So here's the deal. They didn't retain God in their knowledge. They continued to push God further and further away. So they pushed him so far that he is no longer in their mind. They don't think about him. 
He is no longer in any of the decision-making processes. He's no longer a thought. He's no longer a consideration. He is no longer any part of our lives. In fact, Psalm chapter 14 and and Psalm 53 calls this a fool. It says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Again, I don't think it's that hard to see in our society how we've gotten to this point. When you no longer need God, things just progress further and further and further. And so what happens? God continues to take his hands off further and gives them up and gives them up and gives them over. God is completely rejected. He doesn't have a say anymore. And so our lives are then filled. There's a void now. There's an emptiness. And so what do we do? We try and fill that void. No, we don't fill it with love, joy, and peace. Look at what they're filled with. Verse 29, being filled, filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, they know that this is the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Sin always brings death. Not only do the same, but watch. Have pleasure in them that do them. Just a continual downward process. It's terrible. It's ugly. But listen, I don't know about you, but when I read verses 29 to 31, that's not the type of person I want to be. That's not the type of person I desire for myself. I don't want to be murderous, full of envy all the time, debating, deceit, malignity, whispering, backbiting, fighting, constantly working, trying to manipulate and trying to get my own way. Trying to, I lose friends all the time. I don't want to live my life that way. But listen, if you choose to continue down the road of sin, this is what you will be filled with. Man, you'll want to get out of it, but you'll just keep coming back for the pleasure of it. You don't feel good at the end of it, but man, it was pleasurable in the middle of it, but I just don't know how to break this. So we're not filled with the good things, we're filled with bad. We are not receiving the blessings of God, we are receiving His cursings or His wrath. So literally, when you look at your life, if you've made it this far, You're looking at the judgment of God on your life. I want you to understand, we have done this to ourselves. We have done this to ourselves. God has only given us what we want. 
You understand that? I refer you back to Israel. They were written for our examples. Israel wants a king. Oh, man, they want a king so badly. They go to Samuel, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. Samuel says, you don't want that. No, no, we definitely want that. Samuel goes to God and says, God, this is what they want. I'm so sorry. We know you're their king, but they want a physical king. God says, give it to them. There's a few good ones. But for the most part, it was horrible. Guess what it did? Divided them. So often what we want is what we're going to get. If we're not careful, we'll continue down this road of sin. I want you to understand, though, this evening that God does not hate you. Most people think, especially in our society, that because God's judgment is being seen, He hates us. I want you to understand this. God does not hate you. He's just trying to get you to realize that He still loves you. So listen, wherever you're at tonight in this process, if you're experiencing the judgment of God, he doesn't hate you. He's just trying to get you to see that he loves you. In fact, I read to you Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. I have children. I could beat my children because of my selfishness, how much I hate them and just despise them and the very thought of them just disgusts me. Or I could correct them because I love them. Every time we have a correctional time in our home, I hug my kids and I tell them that I love them. This is not because mom or dad is mad. This is because mom or dad loves you. And so God doesn't hate you for, he's not judging you because he hates you. He's not pouring out his wrath because he hates. He's pouring out his wrath because he loves and he's trying to draw you closer. So this is not the mean ogre God that most people want to make him out to be. This is, listen, this is a broken-hearted father who is simply letting his child go. Do whatever his child wants to do. Letting his child leave his protection. I can't force you to stay here. It's like the prodigal son. Give me my inheritance and I want to go. There you go. This is a broken-hearted father who sees his child getting further and further away. This continual degradation of man is just meat for what he deserves. It's just what we deserve. It's God's way of saying it's not going to work that way. You can try it all you want, but it's just not going to work. 
You can live your entire life that way, but listen, it's just not going to work. Pay attention. I'm still here. I'm still here. You want joy? I'm still here. You want safety? I'm still here. You want a refuge? I'm still here. You can keep trying. You can keep going. But the farther away you get, the less I have. The less my hands are in control. Oh, how it must break the heart of God. Please hear this. If you are living in sin, please hear this. You are not far away from God removing his hands from you. If you are living in sin, you are not far away from God removing his hands from you. But here's the good news. If you are living in sin, you are not far away from coming back to him. Like the story of the prodigal son, he goes away, spends his living, riotous living, lives it up, has a good time, and where does he end up? In a pig pen. But guess what? The father was still standing there waiting for his son to come home. James chapter 4 and verse 8, draw nigh to God. and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Again, I don't know where you are on this journey of sin. Will you draw nigh to God? Or will you go further away from Him? The further away you get, the less influence God has on you. The more He draws His hands away, He gives up and gives up and then gives over. Hope you know tonight the choice is yours. It's only yours. Nobody can make that choice for you. The deal is this, you either choose righteousness or you choose unrighteousness. Righteousness brings God's blessing. Unrighteousness brings God's wrath. The choice is yours. Sin is something that we're all born with, into. All of us are sinners. But it does not have to go down the road as far. Tonight, what's your choice going to be? I hope you'll choose Christ. And if you're sitting here, this is a side note. If you're sitting here saying, oh, I'll never get that far down the road. Take heed, lest ye fall. If any man think himself to be something that he is not, he deceiveth his, him, his own self. Sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay and take you further than you want to go. So please, I don't know what you're struggling with tonight, but sin will destroy. So take a step toward righteousness. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for all you do for us. Pray that as we discuss and look at your word, Father, that you would help us 
Help us to be so close to you. Help us to push aside sin so that we might have a thriving, abiding relationship with you. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for all you do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.